Welcome to the Alabama Literacy Network's podcast, which is designed to share information and best practices for literacy in the state of Alabama. We hope to bring a wide variety of resources together to help school leaders, teachers, and parents so that all children read at high levels. We believe that literacy is a fundamental right that is tied to so many positive outcomes that we want for all citizens. This podcast was brought to you by Bright Spot Ed, LLC, an educational consulting company based in Alabama providing consulting, professional learning, evaluation services, and resources. Our goal is to highlight the good and replicate it across education. Check us out at brightspoted.com. I'm your host, Shelley Bell Smith. Today, we will be talking to leaders from Aldine Independent School District in Aldine, Texas. Dr. Matt Warford, Assistant Superintendent of Teaching and Learning, and Dr. Demelia Edwards, Director of Literacy. Dr. Matt Warford serves as the Assistant Superintendent of Teaching and Learning for the Aldine Independent School District, a large urban district in Houston, Texas, with 67,000 enrolled students. In his role, he oversees all core content curriculums, the district's dyslexia program, and academic intervention programs. Dr. Warford has 17 years of experience in education and has served as a teacher, instructional coach, assistant principal, principal, and district leader. He earned his bachelor's degree from Texas A&M University. He has two master's degrees from the University of Houston at Victoria and his doctorate of education from the University of Houston. Dr. Demedia Edwards serves as Aldine's Director of Literacy, a newly created role that is responsible for ensuring the implementation of the literacy framework across the district. She provides leadership to the district literacy coaches and ensures the implementation of the reading academies. Additionally, she has 21 years of experience in education and was most recently an elementary and intermediate school principal. She recently completed her doctoral studies at Baylor University in Waco, Texas, with an emphasis in learning and organizational change. Welcome, Matt and Demedia. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank Thank you for having us. We're excited to be here. So it's been over a year since I talked to both of you, and a lot has happened since then. You've held two national literacy conferences that were free and attended by so many people and really just kind of rocked the literacy world, kind of changed the dynamic of so many things that we're doing. You've implemented a new ELA curriculum in the middle of a pandemic, which wasn't like a big ask at all. I could just go on and on with the work that you're doing. I'm really interested in the rollout of CKLA. Can you tell me how that's going? Sure, I'll kick us off. Um, So we're in year two, actually rounding out year two of our implementation of CKLA. And and honestly, I can say that it's going well. Last year, we were looking for those early wins and those things that we could name were success moments, those points, if you will. And this year, we're, we're seeing them being scaled across our schools. We're seeing kids engaging with complex text every day. We're seeing teachers developing the skillfulness it's, it's a process, but we're seeing them developing that skillfulness to be able to execute those lessons well. So I'd say it's going well. Yeah, I would definitely echo that. Um, there's a confidence in use, utilizing the materials. There's excitement in use, utilizing the materials. And it's not just from the, at the teacher level where they're comfortable with it. The kids also are building on their knowledge that they gained from last year. They'll say, oh, we remember that from last year. Or, we talked about that last year. And they can even bring that excitement and joy into the classrooms. And so it's really, really exciting to see that from their point of view. And where we see the professional growth from them and, and the, the gains in the student achievement, we're also seeing that in the teachers and, and their willingness and their capability capacity building. 
Well, it says a lot about the teachers that they were willing to do this process in such a spirit of learning in the middle of a pandemic. Still am amazed that you were able to even pull that off. And Shelly, it's actually, I think it was a blessing in disguise because of where we were in our in our literacy journey before we started this work. We knew that we had to do something, we needed to shift and we had to figure out what that was. So even during a pandemic, it was it was validating to see teachers leaning into the materials and to see students learning so much in that first year. It was it's almost like when you see something or when you know something better than what you knew before, you can't continue to do what you've been doing. And for us, because we had spent the year before the pandemic studying the science of reading, we grounded ourselves and created this literacy framework. So we had all of this rich learning and all of these great ideas, and we were right there at the precipice of making the change when the pandemic hit. So for us, it was just, again, we had to move forward. And our teachers just jumped in and they were so incredible. And our leaders were too. So I'm curious what you learned about implementation and what you would change if you had to do it again. I think the, the, the number one thing we learned is when you have a plan, you have to make sure the plan is tangible. It has to be something that's incremental. It can be incremented in a way that teachers can actually access it. You know, we talked about how our plan was only one or two pages long. It wasn't some giant binder that had appendices and footnotes and asterisks that you had to have a flow chart to understand. It was a manageable plan that explained that we were going to do this first, this second, and this third, because this was a big change. And change is hard. It was both an adaptive change and a technical change. And we wanted to make sure that we were taking our teachers through the whole process, starting with that adaptive change, why we were doing it, why this was happening and what they need to understand, understand with it and why it was necessary for the benefit of our kids. And then slowly making those technical changes. We started with the onboarding of the curriculum. This is what you will be teaching every single day. This is how you're going to do it. Then we rolled out another piece with it, with the assessment and our dibbles testing. And then we rolled up the next piece with the intervention pieces. And then we were constantly doing spiraling uh, trainings backwards and forwards with it. So that was a, it was a big learning process for us as, a, as far as change management goes. But it also really reinforced that that was the right approach to it. Um, because you can only absorb so much. You can only tackle so much. And you had to give our teachers a chance to process it especially during that time of the pandemic where there was already so much change going on. They were also learning at the same time how to do it virtually. They were learning how to do something with five kids in the classroom while 20 kids were at home and so many other variables happening at the same time. That that was, that was the key lever into making sure that was successful during that big transition time. And Demedia, you might want to add some additional points. I do. I want to talk about how we used the lessons we learned with year one to help guide us into year two. We really got intentional this year about continuous improvement because we knew that we had a sound strategy. The strategy was working, but we knew that there were outliers and there was variance in the system. So we needed to figure out what was causing the variance and then really dig in to try to tackle that. And again, still holding true to what the strategy is, as Dr. Warford pointed out. In hindsight, we knew that there were some systems that really supported teachers in doing things well. We knew that. Having a, a, a professional learning plan for instructional coaches and for instructional specialists was important. But I think we may have neglected um, some of the other key folks that were on the campuses that we could have brought into that realm. And so that was a focus for this year. How do we make sure that we're empowering and giving that information out to the right people 
so that they're coaching and supporting teachers to keep doing that work. So those are some little things that we noticed. And as we got into year two, we figured out how do we keep building this so that it does become just a culture of who we are here in Aldi. Those are some really great thoughts just about how do we get better every year and especially in year one of the implementation, knowing that no matter how well it was designed, there were going to be things that you figured out we needed to do better. And so, and uh, I was thinking as you were telling me that just about the communication piece and the professional learning piece, seems like we can't ever do enough of it. There's always more to do. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And, you know, and you have a whole continuum. You have people who are going to be early adopters and be really proficient at early on. And then you're going to have people that are going to need constant reinforcement and even are going to be eager to go through the same trainings over and over and over and hear the same messaging over and over again. And you have to make sure you're giving it access to all those different points. And so when you're designing your plan, you, you need to be cognizant of the full spectrum there. That's a great point. So as we discussed, there are school systems in Alabama who have just adopted CKLA. Do you have any advice for them? Sure, I'll jump in. And uh, Dr. Warford, if you uh, feel free to chime in as well. One thing that um, will certainly help make this more than just another adoption is grounding folks in the why and helping people to understand how these materials align with what we believe to be true for literacy. When you get new, um, any teacher who's been around for a while, the old joke is that, you know, teachers will say, you know, I'll just bide my time and this too shall pass. But when you have a framework and you have a tightly held set of beliefs, these are the things that we believe because this is what research says and this is how we operate, then the material then becomes the vehicle to get us to that point. And so we had to message that for our teachers, many who have been around through different adoptions to say, we really want you to lean in because this is what research says. This is how it shows up in the curricular materials. And then this is the support plan that we're going to stick with. We also set some really realistic goals. Um, We want to shout, you know, the first year we would have loved to see 100% of classrooms observed teachers using the materials skillfully, but we know that it takes time to get to that point. So we set very realistic goals and we also did progress monitoring so that we could track what we were hoping to see. And then we could also be responsive to those things that we were seeing. And we use those progress monitoring walks to help us design new learning opportunities and to really figure out how we could continue to support teachers because there were some challenges that we didn't even anticipate give you an example. Uh, With some of the CKLA units, the vocabulary and the topics are very rich, but they may not be things that a second grade teacher is used to teaching. And so we took for granted that teachers would understand some of the vocabulary and they would be able to be clear in providing that instruction. But we learned in our visits that, you know, there are some opportunities for us to take teachers deeper into specific units. And so we use that as learning opportunities for us moving forward. So those are just a few pieces of advice that I would offer. Uh, my big advice would be to think about how you're going to scope out the, the development of curriculum literacy, how you're going to work with your teachers to really understand this new paradigm of uh, lesson internalization 
and looking at the scope of teaching. It's, it's a new way. And so, you know, they're used to pulling up the standards, pulling all the resources and doing these lesson plans. And it, it's a whole different way of approaching that. So we're now they're, they're taking these really robust lessons, as the media said, and having to internalize them and create them. But within that also comes this whole approach of thinking about how a, a lesson connects to a whole series of lessons that they didn't create. I, I liken it to when you get a PowerPoint that you didn't create, that someone else gives it to you, and you have to memorize all those notes at the bottom. It, it's not easy. It, it's, it's an art and you have to figure out how to make it your own, but still keep the fidelity of those materials. Within that also comes a data literacy piece. How do you utilize that to drive instruction? Because there's an old paradigm of, okay, we get data and then we have to stop and create a lesson to immediately address that data. But within curriculum literacy of these new materials, it's a spiral curriculum. So it's going to flow into a new approach where you're going to see those that same skill set later on, but you have to understand how that approaches it in, this, in the CKLA framework. And so helping your teachers understand that design will really help them um, feel more comfortable with materials and how they're presenting the, those new, that knowledge set and those skill sets because it's all new to them. And so it, it's, a, it's a great feeling when you understand that and they can see the big picture of how CKLA is laid out like that. But they have to hear this kind of new approach, new terminology to really get the full picture of it. And Shelly, I'd like to add one more thing about some advice for those uh, leaders there in Alabama is to really think strategically about how you'll engage campus leaders so that you have the on the ground support that teachers will need as they're making the shift. So what teach what principals and their instructional leadership teams may we would like what we would encourage them to do in our practices, we would give them tools for them to do learning walks and really focusing on learning as opposed to evaluating the implementation. So what are the trends that we're seeing as we're going into our classrooms and then using those noticings to help us plan support so that it creates a culture on the campus where we're all learning and that it's not perfection that we're seeking this first year. We need to get everyone normed and, and at the starting point and then on track. So leaders have to have tools that help them to know what to look for and how to coach their folks to get them to the next level. So that's a really important consideration for any district. And, and lastly, I think I would say at all levels, in the classroom level, the school level, and the district level, celebrate the small wins. Because it's a new approach. You can't wait for student achievement data to come in at the beginning of year, end of year, middle year, those just those big markers. Celebrate the small wins as you're implementing these things. Whether that be the, a great lesson that's executed, whether that be an end of unit test that they all did really well because you filled that knowledge in, or that they are understanding new skill sets from the CDC patterns. Celebrate the wins because it, it, you're doing something that's benefiting all kids. You're doing something different, but it's a hard change. You're making a change. So celebrate as you go along to keep the, the spirit time, the momentum going. I think that that is so on target. Interested, you, you mentioned, you know, we're not going to see those uh, academic results immediately looking for those short wins. I am interested in what kind of results that you're seeing so far, and it doesn't have to just be the those kind of academic outcomes that we're traditionally looking for. Uh, and then I'm interested in what kind of results that you think you'll see in the future. I'll jump in and share just some of those qualitative wins that we um, have seen. If you follow us on Twitter, that's um, at Aldine ISD or Demedia underscore Edwards uh, at Twitter. And Dr. Warford, what's your handle? At Warford Matt. 
you'll see we, we're constantly tweeting and retweeting every day examples of the wins that we're seeing in our classrooms. We see um, classrooms, our whole campuses having celebrations at the end of the King and Queens unit. And we see um, students extending their learning on animal habitats and doing these projects. And so it's it's renewed that, that desire, that excitement in our students and in our teachers to move away from the kill and drill approach to teaching a main idea lesson to really helping kids to build knowledge and context to understand how these topics live in our world and their in themselves. So those have been some wins we've heard from parents that their kids are coming home and just reciting and sharing all these phenomenal things that they're learning about at school and they're excited to be there at school to because they don't want to miss this incredible learning. Um, we did see some data marks. Um, some of our data markers were showing us at the end of our first year that we're really onto something. As a district that didn't have a strong push for foundational skills, we're looking at our M-Class and Dibbles data now and really seeing, oh my goodness, at the end of year, we're looking at all of our kindergarten students going to first grade. We're looking at first grade to second grade, and we're seeing 50%, if not better, of our students um, at, at level or above level um, on those EOI measures. And so those are the wins that we shout. Of course, we would love to see 100%, but for the first year, that is a really strong indicator to us that we're doing the right work and now we continue to refine and keep pushing ourselves to get better. And um, a, a marker that Demedia didn't reference there is in a year that most districts saw their data trends going downwards uh, because it was such a hard year in academic achievement, ours was the reverse. Our year was going upwards. We, we were the opposite of everyone else against their DILS data. So we felt really good, even though, like Demedia said, we have room to grow. And until every kid is reading on level, we know we have room to improve. But we knew that last year we could say was a success because we bucked the trend as to everyone else having that hard year with coronavirus. We were really proud of that. When I was listening uh, to Dr. Edwards talk about 50% or higher of those students from kindergarten first and first to second, I'm thinking in the middle of a pandemic. Correct. And so, you know, year one aside, it was a global pandemic in which the terms interrupted learning and learning loss have really consumed our headlines about what has happened to students. And so I think it really goes to this idea of when we provide the right instruction, then we can overcome that. A hundred percent, systematically and categorically. We have a friend that in Tennessee, Robin McClellan, that we met early on in our journey. And I can remember we were there visiting with her and she said, you know, when you put high quality materials in the hands of good teachers, really the sky is the limit. And so we're seeing that live out in our district. We have really good teachers. They're good intentions. They, they want to do the best for our kids, but sometimes we get lost on how to do it. So we've lifted that and we've said, okay, here are high quality materials. Let us figure out, let us help you figure out how to do this work skillfully. And let us also help you to go through those materials so that you're really adding your personality and your own self to those materials in the delivery and we've seen those shifts already happening um, here in our district after one year and now at the end of the second year, we're excited to see um, how that continues to grow. 
So I think one of the things that you've been really successful in building in Aldine is this culture focused on improvement, whether that's literacy or anything else. What do you attribute this to? I think first and foremost, it's our leadership. Um, We couldn't ask for a superintendent who's more invested in this work than Dr. Dauphin and invested in ensuring that Aldine kids get the very best. And so, you know, she looks at everything and says, what can we do better? And when you have that as your approach to everything, it is truly what can we do better? And then there is an alignment between the two entities that this and most engages, the school's office and the teaching and learning department about how can we come together and do better with it? Um, you know, one of our favorite expressions is no better, do better. And so that's what we constantly come together and try to figure out what can we do? Where are we aligned? In it, and where are those, as she said, the variances that we can do to make changes to improve on the outcome? But it starts from the top. And when you have Dr. Gopney's uh, just can-do attitude with everything, it's infectious. You really will adopt it and move forward with it. And I think the culture in Aldine has um, really embraced this the fact that we are a learning organization, that we have to continue learning and evolving. We can sit around and we can do shame and blame, or we can say, okay, what's working well? How do we scale that out? And how do we keep getting better? Um, I say all the time, there is not a silver bullet to fix all of the ills in our world. If there were, trust me, we would have bought it. We would have trained on it. We would have rolled it out. We would have done all the things. Real change that sticks is systemic, and it's incremental and it's strategic. And so in our district, it, our culture has really embraced this idea that we keep learning and that we really learning is not a finite place where you land. It's an infinite journey to keep growing and getting better year after year. And that's what we're doing. I love what you just said about the silver bullet. And we say that a lot, but then a lot of times we keep looking for that one program to buy that will fix everything. And that one computer program that's going to fix all of the deficits um, and advanced kids. And so you're so right. It is never going to be one thing. It is that continuous improvement uh, around some really solid core things. So I just love that. Many people know Aldine because of the free literacy conference you've held for the past two years. What impact has that had on the work that you're doing? I think first off, the Literacy Matters Conference has been an opportunity for us to share our journey. Um, One key part of each conference that we've had has been a panel in which we really are just transparently talking to folks about the challenges, the real challenges, and how we've been able to find solutions to those things. I think it also gives us a chance to give our teachers more just-in-time training. And because it's conference style, they can choose sessions that really meet their needs. And we've been able to offer that also to other districts in in our state that are piloting these materials. We have other districts that are attending our um, CKLA sessions, and that's great because we want to continue to support others on their journey. So I think the biggest um, win for us with the conference is just sharing our journey, and then continuing to build the skillfulness of our teachers um, in that work as well. And I think the time that we do it is always really strategic. It's in February, late January, because that's a hard time of year. You know, it's right at the time of the year when testing season's looming and people are a little bit tired and stressed and hearing all these wonderful speakers come back and really reinforce the messaging that what they're doing is right. It's just so empowering to teachers. You know, the hard work you're doing is going to pay off for kids. 
you're following the science. You're not doing something haphazardly. You're not doing something because some random person in some random office said this is what they believe in. You as an organization came together, you researched it, you normed it, you followed the science about what impacts the learning for all kids, and y'all are executing it. And if you keep doing this, you're going to have positive outcomes for your students in your classroom tomorrow and the next day and every single day after that. We see that. Teachers leave that conference feeling really refreshed. We get a lot of positive feedback that next week, like, oh, I learned something that I can take immediately, but I also learned something that's going to keep me going. I'm more motivated. And that that's really po- positive and powerful for us. I love that. And I know I love attending the conference because I can sit in my pajamas on a Saturday and listen and interact. And it's just such great information. You have great speakers. And I can see how that really reinforces what you're doing in the schools uh, with teachers when they hear these national speakers and they see people from all over the country attending the sessions that you're hosting and it reinforces everything that you're asking teachers to do. Uh, and, you know, we get huge audiences, over 2,500 people do it. And because of the convenience of that, they can, like you said, we don't care if you're in your pajamas. Come <laughs> as comfortable as you need to be and learn something new and hear these amazing speakers. That One thing we, we want to note is all those all those speakers volunteer their time. They do it because they believe in the cause of sharing their the, the science of reading with the masses. We call it kind of this grassroots campaign of trying to get as many people as they can to learn it um, as practitioners. And so we have all these wonderful people, these speakers like Meredith and David Lieben and um, Natalie Wexler and Carolyn Strom that you know are just fantastic to listen to that will say, yeah, we'll come and speak for an hour virtually. Just give us the time. Give us, we'll do it anytime you have available. And it's just such an honor to have them join the the lineup and to come and share their their wisdom with us. So I am curious if there's any chance you will convert the conference to an in-person event or will you keep doing it virtually? We think we'll keep doing it virtually. That way we can keep bringing in the masses. We love seeing people from out of state. We love seeing people. We've had international people. Um, Last year, I think the furthest one was New Zealand, you know, British British Columbia. I mean, when you can have that kind of audience and that kind of community come together, it it really is powerful in a sense. And we know we wouldn't be able to bring that together at that same level by moving into in-person. And again, those speakers, they're doing it because they can be so convenient for themselves uh, while also getting their messaging out. And we love that also. Um, So I think as long as it continues to be successful in this manner, we'll kind of keep the keep the program as is. Um, Don't you agree, Dr. Edwards? I do. I think part of the draw is for many people that they can attend virtually. I know that we may lose some of the we may not have as many folks that are able to engage if it were just an in-person conference. I think as we continue to grow this and, and develop, um, and there may be some potential maybe for a hybrid conference down the road or some other things that we can think through. But having the virtual option is so important because we do want people to feel to be able to join us and um, to be able to engage. And again, like Dr. Warford said, we're trying to get this information out to the masses. Part of our journey in doing this conference was because we were seeing success and we knew we couldn't keep this to ourselves. We want all kids, all, every single one to meet to meet literacy goals and to be successful. And so sharing our message and opening this conference and saying it's free, come learn with us, gives us a chance to help others do the same work or on their journey to doing same, the similar work. Well, I love it. I will be there next year. Whenever it is, I will be there. 
So literacy is a a key pillar of the district's anti-racism plan. What kind of feedback have you received from the community about this work and how have you involved them in changing literacy beyond the school? It's a huge pillar and uh, and a key tenet of Dr. Goffney's platform. She engages our community every week in a message and it stays part of her platform every week about it. Um, It really started after the George Floyd incident. And she really believes that literacy can be the gateway to changing outcomes, regardless of student zip code. And so she she communicates to our, our constituency that, you know, these efforts we're doing is so that every single student has the choices and opportunities to have the life that they want. If we get literacy right, it will open the doors for everyone. She really believes that and she's passionate about it. And so she really communicates to them through her messaging. And the way we follow up with that is by having lots of events with them, explaining how they can engage your kids. A lot of parents don't, they think it's kind of an old paradigm that they have to be really fluent how to teach reading when it's not. It's about exposing them to text. It's about reading with their children, about exposing the sounds. What sounds did you hear is a question they could ask a kid and let the kid tell them. But the other way, especially with this new curriculum that's so powerful is that that age old question, what did you learn in school? So many kids used to go home and say nothing, you know, uh, nothing, because they didn't want to go home and talk about, oh, I learned about mean idea, right? When now they go home and talk about, they learned about the Greeks and the gods or, you know, the Vikings and how they conquered this and Don Quixote. We tell our parents, ask your kids that question because your kids are going to come home with a really, really long answer. And our parents are loving it. They love when their kids jump in the car and come through that front door and they ask that question, they get these really robust answers because for the first time since we adopted this, they get answers about what their kids are learning because kids are excited to tell them. And they come back to school and tell us, my kids are saying they're learning about the human body. They're learning about the ecosystems. They're learning about things and they're really excited to engage in these conversations. And that's helping them with their literacy. And we, we explain to them that's their vocabulary development that's growing that will impact the read development. And it's really helping them understand the whole process of reading growth. And so they're very positive about the messaging, but they're, they're really more comfortable about how they're also engaged in their, liter- their child's literacy improvements. And as Dr. Warford said, we've, we've been intentional about doing work with our community so that we can help parents to understand um, the direction that we're going and really get them invested in this work. And so we've um, we worked with we have a in our district we have a family and community engagement um, department, and so we were able to do several literacy sessions for them, both in English and Spanish, um, and then uh, continuing to just encourage and um, our parents to ask the right questions and helping them to see their role in supporting literacy for their students ha- has been our plan. And I think the feedback that we've gotten has been very positive. We have not had any um, issues in terms of content and things like that. Our parents are um, enjoying the curriculum just as much as our students are. That's amazing. I read that you have Texas Reading Academies helping to train teachers. What can you tell us about this program and how is it helping schools, teachers, and students? I'll say this first. I I think there could not have been better timing with the Texas Reading Academies and the implementation of our new curriculum because the Texas Reading Academies helps teachers deeply understand the signs of reading. And so our teachers that were going through the first year were also learning the new curriculum and they were making incredible connections between what they were learning about phonological awareness and what they were doing in the curriculum. They were making these wonderful connections and seeing 
how or learning how to strengthen it and learning the why, if you will, behind many of those modules and those practices. I think it's been it's it's an exhaustive um, experience. It does require our teachers to really dig in, and it's quite a bit of time commitment. But we've heard over and over again that teachers are really seeing the value in this, and they're seeing how it connects. It really connects to what we're doing day in and day out in the classroom. Matt, anything to add or? Well, and one of the things I, I, I love is the House Bill 3 that it came out of in the Texas Education Agency, they're, they're kind of using it as a whole reading initiative. And, you know, they adopted Amplify as a core curriculum that the whole state can utilize. And to help reinforce the concepts that they're showing Texas reading academies, they often reference CKLA. They reference the, the materials to showcase, you know, when you're learning about this particular phonological skill set, this is how it will look like in a skills lesson in CKLA. So people can, our teachers especially, really see the connection because we utilize materials. And it's re- really reinforcing this is why it was so beneficial for us to adopt it, because there's the power in it that's coming directly from the state of Texas that this is the benefit of these materials and why you're doing this through the reading academies. Kudos to our, our commissioner and the Texas Education Education Agency for this work. It is a huge endeavor. Um, like Demita said, our teachers, kudos to them for all the work they do to get through the program. But uh, definitely kudos to TA for coming up with this idea to ensure that everyone has the skill sets to be good reading instruction instructors in the classroom. I love it. I want to thank both of you for being with us today. It's always a pleasure talking to you and learning from you. You two are just making such a huge difference in so many lives. It's just amazing. Well, thank you for us, for having us. Um, we are so impressed by the, what Alabama is doing, and we certainly love following you on uh, Twitter and being a, an associate of you and learning from you as well. Yes, we do. And thank you for having us. We look forward to continuing these kinds of conversations so that we can as the Alabama Network of Schools gets deeply ingrained into this work, we look forward to just continuing to share what's working and really problem solving and being a thought partner to help uh, figure this out. We want to get this right for all kids. I can't emphasize that enough. That's right, Thank because you. it's a it's a game changer. It is. Thank you so much. Join us again for the next episode of the Alabama Literacy Network.